Welcome, everybody. It's good to, uh, well, you see us and we kind of uh, know that you're out there. So, hey, guys and, and ladies, uh, this is Kurt Souter and my good friend, Eric, Eric Schonsberg. Eric Schonsberg. I've been a pastor for the last uh, little over 30 years, and I was a youth pastor, student pastor up in the Chicagoland area. Then I became a senior pastor in northern Indiana. Came down to Louisville, Kentucky uh, about 21 years ago and became the men's pastor. Then uh, was led and uh, did that led that ministry for uh, a little over a decade, and then they asked me to open up one of our campuses. So I was in the uh, multi-site world and uh, launched a campus, and it uh, was it, it exploded. It was an incredible experience. And now I, I continue to do a lot of pastoral work, but I lead uh, Further Still Ministries. And uh, I've got uh, four kids from my first wife. My first wife passed away seven years ago. I remarried a widow from our church, and uh, she has two. So we've got a total of six kids and four grandkids. And uh, we it's an honor to be with you guys, uh, you folks, today. And thanks to Exponential for putting this on as well. Yes. Eric Schonsberg, I'm a professor of economics uh, at Indiana University Southeast in New Albany, Indiana, across from Louisville, where Southeast Christian is. And I've uh, been an economics professor for a long time, do a ton of writing, develop curriculum, put courses together and the like. And I've taught the Bible for about 30 years. So uh, God's used that skill set uh, and some administrative skills uh, to help Kurt uh, do, do ministry all these years. And I think, you know, the wildest part of the story begins with you coming to Southeast. Well, and I always say I've been a pastor, so I'm paid to be good. And Seansburg is good for nothing. So uh, my, our little humor of the day, but it's, a, it's really true. The dude uh, is all about uh, helping us uh, partner together raising up kingdom workers and so the title is uh, you know raising up kingdom workers robust kingdom workers who can do heavy heavy lifting so the, the story i just want to start out with when i came to southeast christian church southeast uh, at the time was about thirteen thousand people i was the only men's staff person uh so we got hundreds and hundreds you know thousands, thousands. of men and uh, how do you minister uh, as one staff person and i just realized the power of what we needed to do was take our time to develop men and raise up guys who are, and our goal was, how do we help them become uh, pastors? How do we help them become the next elders? How do we help them become serious guys who can do some incredible lifting, spiritually speaking, for the kingdom? And uh, so, and whether they ever held an office in the church, you know, that they would Right. Become First Timothy three, Titus one, sort of men living that lifestyle, regardless of what office they may or may not hold. Yeah, so um, I would love to pray for you guys right now, and then I just want to open with a passage of scripture that I'm sure you're familiar with, but it it just the basis of what we're going to talk about today. So uh, let's pray together. God, thank you for these folks who are listening, and thank you for their kingdom hearts for you. Lord, I, I know many of them are in full-time ministry. Many of them are about ready to plant a church or have already launched a church or somewhere in between, and, and others are on staff. Uh, some are lay leaders and elders. Lord, would you um, use Eric and myself to bring encouragement, hope, vision, strategy, planning uh, into their hearts and minds? And Lord, we just want to be vessels used by you. Lord, we pray your grace and your blessing on these folks who are doing incredible kingdom work. And uh, may your favor rest upon them, confirm the work of their hands. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. And I just want to read uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, this is the uh, passage Paul's speaking to the church at Ephesus and starting with verse 11. It was he who uh, gave some to be apostles some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure 
of the fullness of Christ. You yeah. want to make any comments on that, brother? I mean, that's our goal. I mean, I, you know, I think that has to be uh, a chief charge for those that are leading churches. How do we fulfill the commands that Paul laid out for us in Ephesians 4? And as a practical matter, right, going back to Kurt's uh, story, you know, you're better off having an army of effective lay people that are helping you do the ministry of the church, right? That are helping you in a multiplying ministry. Uh, so I, I think that's absolutely crucial. Yeah, and and typically in when we're when we're under the gun, and we have so much that's on our plates, it's so easy to to allow disciple making and raising up robust kingdom workers as a kind of a second tier priority, and we just don't see that in the life of Jesus. We see in the life of Jesus, the priority is um, is disciple making, um, the Great Commission. Go therefore into all the world and and, and and the nations and make disciples of all of, of all these groups of people, baptizing them and then the the part that we many times yeah. leave out. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. I mean, what what is the plan for doing that? So I think we reduce the Great Commission to disciples, but we really reduce that to converts. And then we got this of all nations thing, so we better send some missionaries out there. But we miss this phrase, you know, to obey, uh, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded. In terms of priorities, you know, the thing that just popped in my head was, you know, I've heard many sermons on, on um, giving to the church. And one of the principles that almost always comes out is it has to be the top priority, right? If you do other things and then you just kind of go, well, what money's left over? Not a good approach to uh, stewardship, tithing, giving money to the church, uh, uh, et cetera. And I think that's why where discipleship and the ministry of Jesus indicates it has to be the top priority or right up there uh, with that. And I think, you know, when I talk to pastors uh, and leaders in the church, I mean, all the time I hear, well, I'm busy. You know, I'm busy running the church, I'm bus- visiting sick people, uh, I'm doing the sermons, I'm, I'm doing the, you know, getting Sunday ready. And, you know, we understand all of that. But at some point, you've got to build firemen and quit putting out fires. And so how are you going to build those uh, those firemen up? How are you going to train them? And, and many times in an increasingly hostile culture, we send our people out with butter knives to a gunfight and they're just not equipped for it. So it's important, I think, it, uh, for the individuals under our charge that we develop them. But I think to the point of this uh, main topic, right, which is to develop leaders who can help you uh, run your ministry much more effectively. I think the key is, guys, um, and when I say guys, I'm talking to you ladies as well. He's a men's ministry. Again. So I've been I've been doing men's ministry for you know decades, but um, it's 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 a matter of are we going to follow the 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 character and the priorities of Jesus? Are we going to have a philosophical grid uh, like Jesus? Are we going to do ministry like Jesus? Not just Jesus is our Lord and Savior, not just that Jesus um, was crucified, buried, rose again, and ascended up into heaven, and he's now our, our, our King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, but will we follow the pattern of how he did ministry? So you think about it, a hundred years after Jesus was off this earth, was his influence increasing or decreasing? Obviously, it was increasing. Uh, 500 years. Jesus hadn't walked on this planet for 500 years. Is it increasing or decreasing? It's increasing. A thousand years. A thousand years, almost all of Europe is being has been impacted uh, through the, the life and ministry of Jesus. Here we are 2,000 years after Jesus has not walked on this earth, and his influence continues to increase. And so, like, that's that's what we have, because, guys, we're going to be dead and gone in 100 years. We're out of here. I, you know, I'm going to be out of here in probably 30 years, 30, 40 years. And, um, but how we do ministry. And so, uh, we, we've been blessed to have been trained by, you know, I, I would arguably say one of the greatest guys who knows the life and ministry of Jesus better than anybody that I know. His name is Dr. Dan Spader. And Dan has been really helpful at Southeast and, um, and you know, around the world, really. Um, and But we call it the four chairs. And uh, we're just, uh, it, it's a very simple metaphor, a simple um, way to explain how to help people move from one chair to the next 
and language that helps us, and it's, it's helped us at Southeast in a, just in innumerable ways. So chair number one is, uh, is a lost person. And uh, every, every, and by the way, everybody is in one of these chairs. Everyone is sitting in one of these chairs. And so chair number one is a lost person. This means they're lost. They, you know, you know this, they're living in the darkness. They're an enemy of God. They're far away and they're pagans. And they might be a, a religious lost or they might be, uh, you know, what we call secular lost. Religious lost means they're in the church but they've never truly confessed Christ and embraced him as their personal Lord and Savior. This is uh, chair number one. And the, the goal is win the lost. How do we win the lost? And there's, you know, how, how do we focus on that? And that needs to be a key piece of what we do um, in church world, in, in, the, in kingdom world, win the lost. Once a person comes to know Christ, they've, tr they've trusted him and received him as their Lord and Savior, then they, we move him into chair two. And chair two is all about building the believer. Um, Ephesians talks about being rooted and established. Now, if you've noticed, uh, this chair is a little bit uh, larger, and it seems to be a little bit more comfortable because... Chair two is where most of us just stop helping people in their walk with, of faith. Uh, we, we, we see them come to know Christ, and then we, we have them get into chair two. They're, they, they're believers. Now they're friends of God. They've, they were far away. Now they've been brought near. You know, the Bible says that they were in the kingdom of darkness. Now they're in the kingdom of light. And we make this chair many times so comfortable. So, and in fact, if we could actually make this a full-blown chair, yeah. what would it look like? It look like a couch. When we do this presentation at conferences, we usually go for a couch instead. And this was, talked, I asked a friend for some doll furniture, so this is the best we could do. But yeah, the, the problem is, right, that we want the faith to be attractive. We want church life to be attractive. We want the community of Christ to be attractive, right? In Acts 2, Peter calls them from the corrupt world into the community of faith that's described so beautifully at the end of Acts 2. So we want that, but the flip side of that is that it can become too comfortable very easily, right? And so that's the consumerism and some of the other things we find in the church. So in making it attractive for people to go from chair one to chair two, if we're not really strategic, right? And this is maybe especially in church planning world. Right? We want to attract people to our, our new church and all that. And so we make it attractive. We've got the right coffee and the right seats and the, you know, the great the, preaching you know, and the great preaching. All, all that stuff is great. We, we don't have a problem with coffee or seats or preaching, but it's too easy to settle here. And so unless the leaders have a, a strategy and a vision for calling people to move through chair two into chair three and four, it's very easy for people to get stuck there. So, so what, what can happen is there, there can become, and by the way, I'm just going to integrate here too. When you got, if you got questions, please uh, just put them in the, in the chat box. I think Brooks is uh, communicating with mm -hmm. you guys, but uh, we, we'd love to have your questions. In fact, we've allowed some time at the end to, to try to address the questions that you guys have. Um, but there becomes then a gap between chair one, chair two, and then chair three and four. Um, in fact, the, it, it looks more and more like this, um, and, and this gap, uh, we, we just have a very hard time helping people get out of chair two into chair three, because chair two is when, when the, uh, chair one, when the, the lost, two, build the believer, but then we don't want them to stay there. We want them to get to chair th three, which is equip the worker. In, in scripture, there's a there's just a, a great distinction between workers and believers uh, in chair two and chair three. All kingdom workers are believers, but not all believers are workers. Jesus says in in Matthew chapter nine, "Pray to the Lord, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few." You know, we we, we need more workers. Those of you who are planting churches, uh, uh, you you know this how critical having kingdom workers, not just bodies who can set up chairs and you know you do sound and hold babies, but people who can take stuff off of your plate, who can do real ministry. Yeah, like a mentor people, they can 
you know, uh, counsel difficult marriages. They can answer difficult questions in a, a junior high small group. They can handle things, right? They're, they're more than just a, a nice person and a warm body. If they have a small group at their home, they're going to do a little better than press play on the on the DVD and have a nice brownie recipe, right? We're looking for people that can do a lot more lifting and be kind of this kingdom worker chair three sort. Yeah. So when uh, uh, the difference between like like a new believer and a kingdom worker, uh, you know, a new believer is 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 a milk person, whereas a, a kingdom worker is a meat person. Uh, this this kind of uh, a new believer is his. He uses more. He she uses more I language. The kingdom worker uses we us language. Uh, this is a more a self focused. This is more of a others oriented. This is more of a, a dependent. I'm dependent on the pastor. I'm dependent on the the uh, the elder of the church. This is uh, this person is has learned what it means to live interdependently. You got consumer, you got producer, you've got receiver, you've got giver. There's just a, a lot of examples. And we know these people, right? I mean, you know the people mm -hmm. in your church that are chair three. So the question is, how do you get more of those? One of the books we have titled uh, is called Enough Horses in the Barn. And that metaphor is, how do you get enough horsepower? How do you get enough horses in your barn? Because as you have church plants, you're probably aware of this, or in, just in the local church, this is a constant problem. How do you develop people in this metaphor from chair two to chair three? And two of the big barriers that come up here is that churches, I think, are generally good at evangelism, all right? Or they've got they've got a plan, at least, and they're, and they're working that. And then we're pretty good at this at the small groups thing. And that addresses the first of the two barriers. The first is getting people from large group to small group, right? There's a radical difference between sitting in a row and listening to a preacher for a half hour and you're hopefully holding their attention, but you know, good luck to you, right? It's just even, you know, I think about, I was telling my, one of my groups, you know, even at the level I am in terms of, you know, a PhD and, you know, m mentally disciplined, it is still work for me to listen to a, for a, an entire 32 minute sermon of a really good preacher like Kyle Eidelman. It, it just takes a lot. Well, what about the, the poor, poor guy that's, you know, whatever. I mean, that, that isn't, uh, isn't that in tune and he's got a hangnail and his phone's buzzing or, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, preaching's great, but it can only do so much, right? So you got to get people from large group to small group. They have to be known as a person instead of anonymous, right? And we know that and we do a good job with that. We set up small groups generally. But the second thing, and this one's this, ingredient is missing much more is we need to, them to move from being passive participants to active that something needs to be required of them whether it's study or memory or reading or service something else that gets them actually involved from passive to active and, and there i think we struggle a lot right we can get them into small groups but not small groups where they're expected to do some reading and studying. And the fact is the pace of discipleship is gonna be much stronger if they're actively participating, investing in their own discipleship. We, we use, um, and I'm gonna come back to this analogy in just a moment, but I'm gonna take a break and piggyback on what Eric said um, in, in regards to like lifting weights. If a person is bench pressing 100 pounds, um, what, it, it just takes wisdom and, and insight and you know, prayer to like, we can't give them 180 pounds to bench press the next time they, they come in, spiritually speaking. We, we have to think of you know, what, what are they already doing and then how do we help them take the next step of 100, bench pressing 125 pounds? What is the next opportunity, 150 pounds, 175, get, get them 200 pounds. And then, and then uh, amazingly, what we have found over the years is that there's people who really want to learn how to bench press 250 to 275 pounds. They're in our churches. They, they want to know theology. They want to, um, they want to read. They want to be challenged. They want to be used by God they in, want a, in a powerful way. And they, they, they understand that. And then they understand they need to make investments. They understand they're not competent to do it. Yeah, the Spirit can, can give you things, but let's give the Spirit more to work with. And they understand that. And they will make the sort of investments we're talking about. It's amazing. We, we've had just you know thousands of people go through a, a 21 month Bible reading, Bible memory, Bible study experience. 
um, that's five hours of reading and studying and memorizing scripture um, over 21 months. We've, we've had boatloads of people go through that. And I'm, I was like, I marveled, but I'm, as I think back, I wow, these they're 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 doctors, they're attorneys, they're nurses, they're plumbers, they're electricians, but they want to be used by God, and 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 I love what Doctor Patrick Morley says. You know, we got to raise the bar. Nine out of ten men in our churches throughout the country um, do not have a biblical worldview. They they just don't know the Bible. And they, they don't know what it means to be spirit-filled. They don't know what it means to be following the, 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 the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so that's the beauty of, of having a, a, a kind of a, a vision and a strategy of helping people move out of cheer one, win the lost, to cheer two, build a believer, to cheer three, equip the worker. And then cheer four uh, is, you know, multiply the leadership. And, you know, back uh, when we started partnering together 18, 20 years ago, we we didn't dream. We we were thinking about who are, who are going to be the next elders of the church, who are going to be our next you know Sunday school teachers and group leaders and and but we we it wasn't even on our radar that we would be a church that would be multiplying campuses and doing church plants and helping with church plants. And um, but but as we just started through this process, and we created a pool of at the time men and women, and. Now, I, I, I can't tell you how many people who are lead pastors, who are lead team pastors, who are campus pastors, who are connection pastors, community pastors, and they've kind of gone through this process. And they, they, they haven't been to seminary. They haven't been to Bible college. But there they are. They're, they're, on, they're leading hundreds, thousands of people. And it's so encouraging to see that. Yeah. And it's not just staff people. I mean, it, you know, I don't know if you're going to get into some of the stories we could tell, but I mean, there, there's yeah. guys, you know, a, a guy in real estate, a, a former parole officer. I mean, there's just, you know, lots of lay people who remain lay people. As a lay person, that excites me maybe even more, but lay people doing great things in the kingdom, right? Not just, you know, being a nice guy at work, but actually able to mentor, you know, run mentoring ministries and all kinds of different stuff. I mean, his uh, on, on his radio show, uh, you know, his his co-lead is a guy in real estate and who's come a long way, an amazing long way in 20 years. And, and it's only through a process, uh, an aggressive process of discipleship that that uh, is going to occur. It's encouraging when you see uh, I, I had an early morning meeting tonight with a bunch of uh, this morning with a bunch of guys who I've done ministry with. And there's a guy sitting right next to me who's been married four times. Um, he he's 60 years just retired and i i would trust him with anything at 20 years ago he was a train wreck um i mean he has been so unfaithful in so many ways and yet in the last um a number of years he has said you know what i want to live my life and I want to be equipped, I want to be trained, I want to be prepared that the last couple decades of my life, I am fruitful. I, I, this guy, I, I would trust him with anything. Um, he can write curriculum, he can, he can mentor, he leads our whole mentoring ministry at Southeast Christian Church He le as a layperson. He, he, he's on the men's leads team. Uh, it, it's just incredible watching this lay guy do unbelievable things yeah. and it was a process of discipleship that lasted five six years about 15 years ago and now god's using him to bear you know immense fruit I, you know bob russell our senior pastor here for 40 years always used to say we overestimate what we can do in a year we underestimate what god can do in 10 years and i just want to encourage you so many times we we um the tyranny of the urgent takes over and we miss the priority of disciple making. So I want to show you a little, uh, little scratch, a chicken scratch here. Uh, I think that cut out a chicken scratch that this has been really helpful for me over the years. Typically in church world, we use kind of what I call the funnel system. And the more that we have, uh, the more people that we get up here at the top of the funnel and we just move down the funnel and eventually we get some leaders. And that's typically kind of how we think about church. 
Um, but, I, but I'm going to argue that Jesus was, in many ways, very different than that. And that process is slow, and it's osmosis, and it's a little gravity, and it's things settling to the bottom, right? I mean, it's like, you know, you put a bunch of people in the funnel, and a handful of them will come out as leaders, you know, a decade, 20 years out. But if you think about, so you think about this model of ministry versus this model of ministry. And if you look at what Jesus did, and I remember presenting this to our head of finance several years ago, and I was talking about this first model that I showed you, and then I, then I drew this on the, on the dry erase board. And I said, well, Jesus poured his life into Peter, James, and John, then the, ultimately the, the, the 12. And one of them is a complete counterfeit. Then the 70, Luke chapter 10, we see that Jesus sends you know, them out two by two. Then the 120, and people ask, well, where do you get that 120? Well, that's in the beginning of Acts. You know, they met in the upper room, and there's about 120 in number. Those are the, those are the faithful um, after the ascension of Jesus. And then you get the 500. Where, where do you get that? Well, that's out of 1 Corinthians 15. Those who saw the resurrected Christ. And what, what Jesus is doing is he's building a, and has built a, a foundation so that when 3,000 are added to the church in one day, when, when Peter preaches his great message, 3,000 are added. But look what, look what Jesus has done. He has got this all established. They start meeting in homes. What's the, what's the assimilation? About six per home. Six or eight per home, something like that. If 3,000 people came forward this weekend at Southeast Christian Church, which is a church of how many different campuses and 30,000 worshipers or whatever, um, we would, this would probably bust our chops. But because of what Jesus did, easy, uh, I would say relatively easy assimilation because of how he did what he did. I laid all this out to the head of finance, and this is what Gary said. He looked at it and goes, that's, that, that's Amway. For those of you who are familiar with Amway, and I said, Gary, there was somebody before Amway. His name is Jesus. And um, so we see, we see differing levels of investments here, too, right? I mean, Jesus put more into the three than he did the 12 than he did the 70. And I think that's a challenge for pastors as well. Right. So, you know, you look at the ministry of Jesus. He spent time with the crowds. He spent time with individuals, but he spent the bulk of his time with the disciples, with the 12. And I think that's a great challenge as well that we need to make sure that we have the 12. Right. It doesn't have to be exactly 12, but that you're pouring your life into 12 uh, you know, 12 disciples, so to speak, and investing in them in the way that we're talking about. So uh, when I started to develop, when I was asked to be the campus pastor, we prepared and planned and built and, you know, staffed for about 1,500. And, um, and so we started laying this out. And our, the first campus pastor, a dear friend of mine, Rusty, and he said, you know, we, we really kind of had this going on. We did this. And we were prepared kind of for this larger number, these, you know, but we really missed this, this middle 70 to 120. And so I aggressively, the second campus, uh, just really started laying this out. And we were planning for about 1,500 and almost 3,000 showed up our first weekend. And I, I'm, just, I'm just so grateful that God gave the grace for me to have some of this already in place pretty significantly that we weren't crushed um, because great, great growth can actually crush us if we're not, if we're not ready for it. And the beauty is that Jesus was preparing for three and a half years, this model of ministry so that when 3000 do come to the church and and get saved and born again and followers of christ the church wasn't crushed in fact early church history the church just flourished over and over again because of how and what jesus did for three and a half years i think another thing that bothers pastors is, uh, and group leaders is they want every opportunity to be available to every person but again that's not consistent with the ministry of jesus right he invited many people to be disciples not everyone accepted and so you have to get used to the idea some of us that everyone's invited 
But if they don't accept the invitation, right, at that different level, that's fine. It's up to them. Maybe they'll choose it three years from now or when the spirit convicts or when it's a better season of life. And so if you look at that, you know, the, the move from chair two to chair three, we've already talked about, look, you need opportunities that are, take you from large group to small group. And you need opportunities that are small group just show up passive. You're welcome to show up and just kind of listen to someone teaching and sit in the background. But very quickly, we want to move people to participate. We want to move people to do homework uh, and to study and read on their own. We want them to be empowered to read the scriptures on their own and not rely on the expert. And so there need to be opportunities that are large group, that are small group just show up, and that are small group calling people uh, to higher levels of discipleship, accountability, and the like. And so you need a range of those uh, and to get comfortable with the idea of having you know, groups that are closed, groups that are uh, called, you know, everyone's invited in a sense, but that those who are going to respond to the call, those are the ones that are going to be in those smaller groups. The other thing too is I, th I think we we underestimate our our people uh, of the potential. I think one of the things that God has is is calling a, a pastors for us to think through is, you know, Christ in in them, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, he who began a good work in our people, he will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus, and that means that Jesus really wants them to become, you know. Uh, a, a, a full-fledged minister of the gospel, whether ever they're on staff or not, is, is seeing them and, and to raise that bar, to, to raise that vision that they can become. Um, many times I, I'll get, um, I'll, I'll be saying, well, yeah, but you, you went to, you know, Bible college, you went to seminary, you, you know, um, no, all of us, all of us in Christ are ministers of reconciliation, um, all and so constantly raising the bar and raising that vision for our people to hear that that they that they don't just stay here in chair two, but they move to chair three and 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 we give them more and more responsibilities. Not too much. We don't want to crush them, um, but we have to really pray pray through how to what is the next responsibilities that we can give our people to take them to the next level. Yeah, we talk about Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, great verses on salvation by faith and grace. But Ephesians 2, 10 is great too, right? For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And we're, all of us are called to that. And I, the way I like to express it is that, you know, God didn't just save us and say, hey, stay out of trouble, go sit on that shelf and, you know, well, I'll just take you to heaven. Uh, you know, we're knuckleheads, right? And, and so just stay out of trouble. No, God wants to work with us. And it, it's also you know, the, the works are prepared in advance for us to do. And so the picture is that God is waiting for us to come to the kingdom because he has things for us to do. It's not a matter of we come into the kingdom and he starts looking under the table and like, giving us make work and, hey, I want you to pick up those papers over there. That's not how God sees us. God sees all of us as people that can be empowered through his spirit to do great things. God wants great things from and for all of us, not just the staff, not just the spiritually elite, all of us. And so as we're back to Ephesians 4, what is the plan to equip people to do what God wants from them and for them? You know, when I, when I think of many times at our church and in our churches that I've been a part of, we just say, will you, will you pass out bulletins? You know, will you, will you hold babies? And okay, that's, that's a part of, you know, but there's, there's such a greater calling and so um, one of the things I want to encourage you to think through is what, how many, how many great kingdom workers do you need at your church right now? And what, what would you like them to look like? And uh, th th they, can, they can do evangelism. They can do disciple-making. Uh, which is uh, a part of all the discipleship and evangelism. I call that all part of disciple making. Um, they can mentor, they can coach, they they can lead teams, they can help with curriculum, they can develop your teams. Uh, I mean, over and over again, uh, that's what I think God has for our churches. So if we're talking about vision. You know, do you have that vision? And I, I hope we all do. But the second piece of it is, do you have a plan? Our first question 
uh, and feel free to type in questions in the chat. But the first is about resources. And we don't want this to be an infomercial for our resources. We have great stuff. Uh, our website's thoroughlyequipped.org. Uh, we'll talk maybe about some of those as we go. But it's not about our resources. It's about you having a plan to do that. If it involves our resources or something else, there's many ways to skin that cat. But what are you going to do to create the kind of people that Kurt's talking about? Who are Kingdom Workers, capital K, capital W, people who can do those sorts of things. You need a plan. Uh, you, need, you need resources. You need a, a pathway. You need various things. We talk about that in our books. Uh, we have discipleship resources, but there are many ways to get there. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things that we have to begin to really think as, as pastors and church leaders that it, it takes years. Um, this is not a week's thing. You know, you take an eight-week class and, you know, kind of a beginner thing, and then there's another eight-week class or whatever. And, in fact, by the way, you know, curriculum-wise right now, I mean, it, it's it's a video. It's four weeks long. Uh, back when I was entering ministry, we were, there was 12, 15 week long uh, uh, studies. Those are th th there's just not a lot of that out there today because we've continued to water things down, and we we can't water it down. We got to raise the bar. Our experience has been every time that we raise the bar, there are people who want to 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 reach that, and they and as as they do that, but it takes years. Um, it doesn't take weeks. It doesn't take months. It takes years. And, and specifically, um, I, which I think is a real good exercise that we've done for years uh, at, at Southeast and the teams that I've led, is we, have a, we, we try to have a real crystal clear in our mind, what do we want these people to look like? begin with the end in mind. What, what specifically do we want them, what theology, what doctrine do we want them to have? What experiences? What experiences, what knowledge, wh what do we want them to have? And what does that look like? And that's, by the way, that's a great exercise just to do with your leadership teams so they begin to think, um, what, what is it that we want mm -hmm. this, this end product to look like? And of course, there is no end end product until glory. But, um, you know, when I look at Eric, there's nothing that this guy cannot do in the life of the church. He can teach, he can preach, he can do funerals, he can do weddings. I mean, the, he, he, can, he can counsel, he, he, he can help a person with marriage issues, a couple with marriage issues. You know, if, I, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And, you know, by God's grace, I, I, I've got Eric and a whole truckload of people just like him. And that's what we want for you. I had something that I lost it. That's all right. Okay, so um, I, I, I got a couple other, a uh, few other non-negotiables that I think that, that, are, that are key. So begin with the end in mind. Um, number two, think, again, long-term, years, not not weeks or months. Um, that was one of the places I was going to go is that I think a lot of times in our small groups, and this goes back to chair two, three sort of things, we get people, you know, we've all been in Sunday school classes where three people do all the talking. In the groups we run, and this is, I think, independent of curriculum that you're using, you want everyone to speak about the same amount because you got people in the group that talk too much. You know who you are and you know who those members are, right? You want them to just calm down and use these a little bit more, right? And then you get other people, this is even more important, who they don't speak enough, right? They don't feel competent, they don't feel confident. And if they don't find their voice in your group with, in a friendly setting, they're not gonna speak to their colleague, they're not gonna speak to their neighbor, they have to find their voice. So any group with any rigor and investment in it, like we were talking about earlier, everyone's gotta speak about the same amount. It's known going into the group, the co-leaders of the group are gonna get that guy to calm down, and they're going to get that guy to speak up. Everyone's got to speak the same amount. That's a huge principle that I think gets overlooked a lot. Yeah, um, and a, a huge piece of this needs to be um, in a, kind of going along with what Eric is saying, where where we are in the Word of God, being led by the Spirit of God. Um, I love what Dallas Willard uh, wrote: to, to dribble a few verses or chapters of Scripture on oneself through the week. Uh, will not reorder one's mind and spirit, just as one drop of water every five minutes will not get you a shower. 
no matter how long you keep it up. You need a lot of water at once and for a sufficiently long period of time, similarly for the written word of God. And um, I, I think it's just saturating our people, not so they just have some head knowledge of the Bible, but how do we help them then flesh that out as, as ministers of the gospel, mm-hmm. we've been, what we've been talking about? Another great question here. Uh, the question is, if we are in, in an established church changing culture, what is the best way to do this, basically? And that's a, a terrific question. You know, the beautiful thing about this is you start small. You grab 12 people. And, uh, you know, whatever size church you're is, how much support you've got from the leadership, you know, no one's going to frown on it if you run a small group like we're talking about. And one of the beautiful things at Southeast, we may tell this story in a second, is that this can all actually be done kind of low key. And it's the multiplying ministry that starts and then grows and goes from there. So, uh, you know, back on, I'm, I'm brand new. This is 20 some years ago and got all these guys. And we have a Saturday morning men's Bible study, you know, 500 guys show up. And, uh, and, and it's an it's awesome experience. But how do we, how do we again help guys get to cheer three and cheer four? It, this was primarily a, a cheer one and two environment. And so um, I, we had power lunch. We bring in, you know, big name speakers and this, that, and the other. But I, I, I just realized we were heavy on this and light on this, on the cheer three, cheer four opportunities. And so we, uh, we put together a, uh, you know, a, a disciple making curriculum, a Bible reading, Bible memory, Bible study, and uh, but I didn't tell anybody. I didn't, I didn't tell the leadership. I just twenty one months study about five hours a week, meet weekly, and, and on and on. And it, and and I, but I didn't tell the leadership because I knew the first question that they would ask would be, um, "How many people are you doing it?" You know, because we're kind of a numbers driven culture, and and that's a, you know it's a big thing in America. You know, we we want to I call it bodies, bucks, buildings, and baptisms. You know, and there's nothing wrong with measuring those things, but man, how are we measuring these things? Because if we do this right, man, the bodies, bucks, buildings, you know, baptisms are all going to fall in place if we do this right. Likewise, volunteers, giving, all that. You know, if you have more disciples, that stuff takes care of itself. Yeah, you, you'll have givers, and so anyway, I didn't. I don't tell anybody. And after uh, two and a half years, um, we we started having you know a few dozen guys doing committed to a 21 month process and my 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 lead guy came to me and he said so i i got a little wind of this discipleship stuff you're doing like how many guys you do i, I knew the first question you would ask would be <laughs> would be how many guys you got doing this you know and and at the time we had we had just started our uh six brand new groups uh, you know of, of about uh 10 in a group so we had a total of almost a hundred. And I said, I said, we got almost a hundred guys. And he just about fell off his chair. You got, you got a, almost a hundred people making a 21 month commitment of five hours a week. And I said, yeah. And uh, he, <laughs> he, he couldn't believe it. I said, well, there they are. We're meeting every, you know, Monday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday mornings mm-hmm. at six o'clock in the morning. And so it was, yeah. uh, but it was all under the radar. So I think to the point of the question, you know, ideally, you have you know you have people who are friendly to this. Everyone is going to give at least lip service to ba- to discipleship. I mean, that's one advantage. Everyone says we got to do it. The problem is prioritizing it and then having a plan for actually getting it done. So I think if you have more rather than fewer impediments, you just start your own group, right? You run your own discipleship thing with a group of eight to twelve people and then roll. Um. So when you have that vision and you, and it's just it's you just got to stay you got to stay the course and we've been able to stay the course for almost two decades now and I I can't tell you to to see how many pastors how many elders how many deacons how many lay leaders. Are have been through this kind of this process, and it's it. I mean, they they they, they stop me regularly and say it's it's absolutely changed my life. Mm-hmm. It changed the way I'm a dad. It changes the way I'm a husband. It changes the way I think because I I, I have now 
There are verses and passages that I have read and memorized that that direct me for the rest of my life. So we you know, we mentioned the 21 months. You might be going, okay, <laughs> 21 months. You're kidding me, bro. Can't can't imagine that, right? So uh, years ago, we were asked by a church to develop something lighter, shorter for their high school ministry, and so we did that. It's 36 weeks long requires about two hours a week of study one of the things i when i talk to church leaders is i can't imagine being a small groups pastor at a large church who knows what on earth is happening in those groups right you have everything from glory to heresy you've got a lot of people who are pressing play and they're nice people with the, the good brownie recipe right and, and hopefully you want more from that from your small groups how do you get that well the 36 week you know if we had everyone in our church who led a small group going through that, having gone through the 36 week curriculum, which is very doable, uh, we would, you know, I think you'd feel good about every small group leader if they'd been through something like that. The the beauty as a, as a pastor, I, I get people coming from other churches and, you know, whatever, and they want to, they want to enter into leadership. And the, the I'm going to tell you the beauty of having something that's kind of more rigorous um, that's, you know, spiritually bench pressing more of that 200 pounds, you know, 175 to two, two and a quarter, whatever you want to call it. Um, uh, it vets out, mm. it vets out folks for you. I don't have time to sit down and talk to dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people who, who want this, that, or the other? I I just say, hey, um, you, you know, and they go, I I, I, I don't, I don't want to do that. Okay, that's fine. Just go to the big study that we offer, or this opportunity over there that's really a little bit more fluffy and light, and that's totally fine because that's where they are. Um, but I, I'm about raising up kingdom workers who are going to be pastors and elders and and deacons and teachers and you know leaders in a variety of different settings. And what happens is when you raise the when you raise the water table there, it raises it across the board of your church. And that's the power. And it would vet out folks for me. And I would say, hey, you know what, why don't you, you be a part of this? And, and then we'll talk about leadership down the road. Yeah, it serves as a screening device is what um, the economist and me would talk about. Uh, it also uh, allows you to model things, right? I mean, so, you know, when we lead Bible studies, it's not just a Bible study, hopefully, right? It's not just get together and see you next week and that's it, right? We want these people to also engage in service and we want them to uh, build relationships. And so when you've been in one of these group experiences, you you know what small group life should look like. That's been modeled for you. And again, that's a, a beautiful reason for, to go with the 12 because you can model that for them. And then with some shepherding and a little bit of training after that, you're confident that they're going to run small groups well also, right? They're gonna be relational. They're going to angle for everyone to speak about the same amount. You can train and train and train on that, but if they haven't experienced it, it has been modeled for them, if they haven't seen how it works, really, then they're not going to do it, right? The training is probably not gonna bear much fruit. I remember going to a, a wonderful small group training and they were talking about doing class participation and getting people involved and asking certain types of questions. And I said, I went up and, and talked to them afterwards. I said, this is great, but it's different when you've seen it modeled that way for 36 weeks. When they've seen it, then it's not just intellectually, oh yeah, I guess I might be able to ask these kind of questions and maybe hopefully get this kind of feedback. They've seen it happen. And so that's the beauty of modeling for them relationships and small group management and how to love on people outside the group and pray for people and stop the discussion and, and lay hands on someone and, you know, at, a, at a point in time. You model that for them in a small group. Yeah. It, it, modeling. I mean, I've said for years when I've done some training, you know, I never go to the hospital. You're going to go to the hospital and visit somebody or, or to the funeral home to, you know, to pay respects or whatever. Um, I, never go alone. I mean, take, you always take somebody with you so they can experience that. And it, there's something so, I mean, when they experience it and they have done it, um, I just did, did some uh, spiritual warfare is one of the, some of the things I do in our church and some training. And I, I, I literally was going to go do some, some serious demonic activity was going on. And I, and I can't tell you because 25 years ago, some man grabbed me and walked me through what it means to do some, some deliverance. 
What does it mean to deal with a person who is being strongly influenced by demonic activity? And, and, and I, I walked into that situation. It wasn't the first time. And I, I walked with confidence and, and boldness and courage uh, because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. But hallelujah, that a wise pastor 25 years ago invited me to come alongside some serious, serious spiritual warfare and demonic activity, but exposed me to that. And I'm, I'm confident now that when I walk into a situation, I'm not fearful. God is with me, and um, and your your people need to experience that as well. When they experience uh, what we're talking about here, when they experience you, you taking them with you um, in a variety of different settings, um, they become more and more comfortable, and then you can release them. Yeah. Uh, so I think another barrier for for people, and this is actually in walks of life that range from business to teaching to other things is that the people you're training aren't going to be as good at it as you, at least initially. They might surpass you later, but they're not as good at you. And so you have to have to be uh, have this vision for empowerment that involves sometimes the quality being a little less short term to, to allow them to be what they need to be long term. Uh, when I've taught Sunday school classes or in, in D.C., we have some of this as well. You know, I could teach really good lessons on, say, the Ten Commandments. But instead, whenever I get to the Ten Commandments, I work with 10 other people to have them lead half-hour discussions on it. And I work behind the scenes with them to get their lesson ready. Now, first of all, that's a problem for me because it's a lot more work. It's a lot easier for me just to lead the lesson. And second, I'm better at it than they are. I've been teaching for 30 years. But my goal is not to lead the best lesson on the Fifth Commandment. That's not my goal. My goal is to empower 10 people to be able to teach commandments or lead small groups effectively in the future. And if I never let them do that, if I never let quality drop from you know A to B plus, it's never going to happen, right? And so I think sometimes that bothers us that we feel like, well, you know, first of all, it's more work to work with people behind the scenes. It can be messy. Discipleship and, and relationships can be very messy. But also this idea of maybe of quality. Uh, that we feel like, oh, we're just dropping a little. I can't afford that. I got to make sure it's A every time out. There are venues when you can develop people who are doing B plus level work and they can become A's later on. And, and let me just piggyback on that and say as well, surround yourself with people. Don't be afraid of surrounding yourself with people who are sharper than you are. There, there, there's going to be people smarter and sharper than you are. And embrace that. Um, I, I've often said to a lot of people at Southeast that what I'm really good at is surrounding myself with people who are faster, sharper, quicker, more creative than I am. And that takes the ministry to a whole nother level. Because, yes, he's an economy professor, economics professor. Um, but this dude can do so many things better than I can. Um, I, there's certain things that I'm better at than, than him. But when you surround yourself with multiple people, there are people who are, who are teachers and nurses and edu other edu educators and, and uh, lawyers and, and farmers, and, 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 and the list goes on and on. They're sharper than you. They're better business than you. They can teach money principles better than you. Whatever that is, man, pray like crazy. And, and that's the other point I have here is uh, there, nothing substitutes prayer. God knows what you need. Continue to pray and ask and seek and, and plead with him to bring people who can help you. And, and, and he will. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. And he does two things there, really. Um, he says, pray. And then chapter 10, what does he do? He grabs them and he, and he begins to help them, sends them out two by two. And, and, and by the way, you know what he does in chapter Matthew chapter 10? He says, uh, this, is, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, to preach the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, uh, cleanse those who have leprosy and drive out demons. That's the work that he was asking them 
to do. Some serious, it wasn't passing out bulletins. It's some yeah. serious lifting power. Got a couple more minutes, and so if you have any last-minute questions, we can address those. I think we ought to close by talking to church planners in particular and the, the challenges. You know, I guess one principle or challenge we would have for you is that if you're on the front end of a church plant, you're in that planning stage, and you know, I hoped our discussion today has encouraged you about the importance of discipleship. You know, you're, you know, if you're like a lot of church planners, you're thinking about, you know, getting the 300 people there, making sure the chairs and the, you know, all that stuff. That, and, and that's fine. That's important. But, you know, that it would be a, a higher priority, a top priority to disciple people, to train up people into a multiplying ministry. We've talked to many church planners, and this is maybe stage two, you know, they, they get to 400, 600 people and they have no infrastructure. They're trying to minister themselves, one or two or three or four of them, to 400 people. And people start leaving by the back door and on and on. That's not the ministry model of Jesus. If you're at a church plant, right, and you've already started and you've had some success, and you know maybe you're in that 400 range and you don't have the infrastructure we're talking about, or you're building toward that, it's not too late, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it is time now, though to make that pro uh, process. Find the people around you who are willing and able to make those kind of commitments, disciple them aggressively, and you will have the infrastructure through the ministry model of Jesus to do great things uh, in the local church and for, and for the kingdom. Any other questions, please uh, put them down in our chat, but we, we just wanna encourage you. Um, man, we applaud, especially you church planners, what you guys are doing um, your 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 ability to take the risks and to lay it all out uh, for the glory of the Lord God, who um, uh, wants His kingdom to continue to expand. Jesus said, "The gates of hell will not prevail against my church." But we just want to applaud and thank you for your incredible uh, work and what you are doing, what you're going to continue to do. Uh, it is it is eternal what you guys are doing. And we just want to say, go, go, keep pursuing, keep going after it, keep going after the lost, keep making disciples. And, um, and at the end, um, I put on the tombstone of my wife uh, what, what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And now there's stored for me a crown of righteousness. The Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but to all those who appear, long for his appearing. So, uh, you know, guys, keep fighting the good fight and uh, keep the faith and, and keep pressing on. I think, you know, we look at two different types of people we get to work with. One are people who are already on the path we're talking about, or maybe they're already there. And so the, the curriculum we have and the process we have, it sharpens them, they become stronger, and that's that's very edifying. But even more edifying are the backbenchers, the really nice people that sit on the back rows, and they're not causing any trouble, they, they work in the church and stuff. But to, to see them emerge from nice people, solid citizens to active, you know, uh, effective disciple makers. There's nothing like that. And so I, I hope you'll have get to share our joy in that because there's nothing like seeing people go from, you know, that to that. Maybe seeing the guy go from complete pagan to, you know, that's pretty awesome. There are a handful of those stories, but I think you'll find innumerable people that go from solid citizen to disciple maker. And that's just, you know, super exciting. Uh, I think on the, on the screen, you've got the website, it's thoroughlyequipped.org. Our email addresses are there. We talk to people all the time uh, by email and Facebook and other um, means. So we are completely happy to, to counsel with you, talk more about resources. If you've got particular problems or challenges, uh, we've probably, uh, you know, if we haven't experienced it, we've probably heard about it and worked through that with other people. So we're, we're always happy uh, to counsel with you on that, if we can be a resource for you. Maybe it's an advantage that we're outside the church and we could just be some stranger that you call uh, and and help you uh, wrestle with some of that. We're, we're really glad to do that. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for being a part of this uh, webinar. And it's just, uh, seriously, it's an honor and a privilege to, to share with you. And I'd love to just close in prayer and pray God's blessing on you guys. So uh, let's pray. God, thank you for each person who's listening in right now. Lord, uh, continue to give them courage, continue to give them boldness, 
Lord, give them wisdom. You, you say in your word, um, if we lack wisdom, ask. And so, Lord, we, we ask for wisdom as we lead our churches, as we influence others. Lord, would you do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine for your great glory, for the glory of your name. And uh, Lord, protect each one of these who are listening. Protect them from the enemy. Help us not to be unaware of his schemes. Help us to be uh, men and women who are wise, spirit-filled, trusting in you, humbly walking with you. And uh, God, uh, thanks for this time that we've had together with all these folks. We pray this in the great and glorious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, all. Thanks for joining us.